Howdy ho! Welcome to Null Pointers. We are your hosts, Gerald, Stephen, and Mark. So today we're going to talk about a problem that is also in our podcast name, probably. Uh, we're going to talk about exceptions, so hopefully this will not be a Null Pointer exception. <laughs> So this episode is going to be all about exceptions. Uh, We're going to talk about probably some horror stories that we have experienced ourselves. Uh, how should you handle exceptions? Should you even see exceptions? Do you try to eat them? Do you try to push them out? What do you do with it? But first, before we do that, Mark, you have done it. You've finally done it. You've killed the spirit of this podcast. We cannot, well, I cannot make any fun of you anymore because you did your first open source contribution. Congratulations. Thank you, Gerald. Thank you. It's such an honor to finally do a pull request on a repository that you're actually watching. Uh, I want to thank at this point uh, my wife for being so, and uh, my, my parents and uh, my, my brother and uh, my, my friends. And uh, wait, wait, I could wait, go wait, on wait, and on wait. with this. Your wife for but, being um, so what? Well, you know, I'll, I'll just leave that there. Um, you know, good looking, not talented, caring about what you did. Wise. Oh, your wife discovered a podcast and she's listening now. Hum okay. Humble, you know, just to mm -hmm. throw that one into the mix. And no, yet you've stayed uh, so normal. You've stayed so normal after your first contribution. It's it's fantastic. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it actually still has to... I still got some final tweaks. There was that one guy, Gerald. I mean, he waited like five days before giving the feedback, but mm -hmm. there's yeah, still yeah. something to do. Uh, but no, it was it was great fun. Um, I, I got so inspired after our last episode, I just I just had to contribute something, and uh, of course it had to be a converter. Um, but yeah, it's it's done. And I must say, Gerald, I'm so sure that you will come up with a new tagline. I'm I sure I'm sure I will. I mean, I won't let you down. I won't disappoint you. So for the people who didn't listen to the last episode, which is nearly impossible, but you know. Uh, we were talking about the Xamarin Community Toolkit. And if you have not listened before, I always mock Mark because whenever we talk about open source software, he is the only one uh, of our th us three, at least, uh, that didn't really contribute to to any project. Nothing Xamarin Forms, nothing, 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 actually. Um, so I, 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 I liked mocking him with that. But um, yeah, I, I need to come up with something different. So if you have any ideas, hit us up at nullpointers.io. Um, let me know what I can mark Mark with. I, I have one. Oh, good. He's not made at least two PRs to any cool repos. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Okay, I, I can see how we can stretch this. Yeah, okay, good. I see that. That's how you that's how you get addicted to the stuff, right? You just go like, so you do one, and then the people go like, well, you know, is one even anyone? You know, like, I think one is like none. Then you make two, then you get hooked. Then there's Hacktober around the corner where you can make open source contributions and even get a cool t-shirt. I see this this could get into a real problem pretty yeah. fast. I mean, that's a good point. We are right around the corner for Hacktober. And you cannot only, it's a first this year, you cannot only get the t-shirt. Actually, I think you have to make a choice. I mean, you can get the t-shirt, which is pretty cool, but uh, I don't know how it is for you, but I've got enough t-shirts that I sleep in or um, do some light paint work. Um, so what you can also choose to do is now uh, plant a tree. Say, you can keep the t-shirt, Hacktoberfest. I'm going to let you plant a tree in my name. 
So that's pretty cool too. And, and pretty unfair. I mean, since uh, I've been out it many times on the show before, I actually never contributed during October. And so I don't have a t-shirt, but now it's like really tough. I mean, will I save the planet? Will I go for a t-shirt? I mean, yeah. so oh. much pressure, so much pressure. And yeah. I think, I, I mean, uh, to be totally fair, I did my first Hacktoberfest thing um, last year because I think you need actually for the t-shirt, I think you need like 10 PRs or five, at least multiple. Five. So, um, Mark, hmm. just saying. The pressure's on. At least it's not null, right? So we won't get any null pointer exceptions. I can keep going at this all day. You're really going out with that yeah. choice today, oh, aren't yeah. you? Oh, yeah, I'm good. So that's what we're talking about today, exceptions. Lay it on me. How are you handling exceptions? What are exceptions? Well, Gerald, I've heard in code that I would never write because my code never throws any exceptions, uh, just like in the rarest conditions when no one's looking. Um, it, generally, an exception is, is an error in your code. So whenever something happens which you did not think of in advance, um, your code will go bang in the form of an exception. Yeah, that's, I think, the, the gist. So that's the show, right? Okay, so yeah, so done. We're done. This is uh, more than enough. So to, to answer your, your other question, how do you handle them? I think we could write a book about that, basically, because there are so many schools of thought around it. And you could just wrap your basic entire piece of code in a try-catch block. That's, that's the easy way of doing it, right? Um, just put a try-catch around it. Don't do anything with the exception that you catch, and your code never crashes again. Or... Or the other one that I really like, I mean, I the I used to work at a place and a guy taught me like, if you ever do in C Sharp, like catch exception, which is just like catching every exception because all exceptions inherit from that class and then just do nothing. Uh, that's that's some that's a reason to get fired. Just like on the point, just walk out of the office, you're done here. Um, but another one that I really like is like when you catch the exception and then you write an error has occurred like into the console or printed on the screen and then just be done with it. That's also really great to do, I've heard. <laughs> that sounds like a lovely idea. So, But you already said something very interesting because you know exceptions happen is something that is basically... I mean, if we're talking about the .NET framework, at least, these are things that are built in like the .NET framework, right? So something happens that is not expected. Um, so hence, it's an exception, you might call it. Um, so, you know, and, and that gets thrown because it's something that's non-recoverable most of the time, right? So there is some value that you would have to specify or, you know, a famous example is if you divide something by zero, uh, which is not possible. Um, but you can, you can handle that in different ways, right? So there's, you know, exceptions that you do not expect or that you did not anticipate to uh, as a developer uh, because you have the means to to catch these exceptions and maybe do something meaningful uh, at least not crash your application and and give a user-friendly message like hey something is wrong with your input maybe and then there are the exceptions that you don't anticipate to that will just crash your whole application and that's the ones that you um, yeah would want to avoid right well, I think it always a bit depends. Um, so generally, when your when your application crashes, it's never good. So you want to handle those exceptions. But um, as we jokingly pointed out, um, or Stephen did at the beginning, like you can just catch all exceptions and then you're fine. And uh, if in your app you might want to do that, you might want to have a global exception handler that will just uh, 
swallow any exception and then just inform the user that, whoops, something went wrong. Um, but uh, when you're developing a library, uh, I think that's a bit of a bad idea because usually you get invoked by an app. And if something bad happens, you might not be the right instance to handle it. Or how do you do this as a library developer, Stephen? I don't really spend a whole lot of time on it, um, to be fair. I think my, my pancake view just throws whatever exception it comes across up. Uh, or, well, it, it doesn't even try catch, actually, to be honest. Um, but yeah, I, I basically just let it crash as is. And that might not be very nice of me. So it, it also uses source link. So users can, when they get uh, an exception, they can just debug into my code and see what happens. Whereas I think if I were to catch that and throw it at them in a in a wrapped form or, or something like that, I think it would obfuscate it a bit more. I, I don't quite know what the actual best approach here is, to be honest. Um, but I haven't really spent that much time on it on my library at least. Yeah, so that's that's the interesting thing as well, right? Like what, especially if you're uh, creating some kind of library for um, consumers that you do not know. I think there's also a difference with like um, libraries that are out in the public and maybe some code that you're writing uh, in-house that's proprietary to uh, your company where you can, um, you know, document it maybe a little bit better or easier or just tell to your team like, hey, it's going to behave this way. Uh, but yeah, I, I think in this case, the approach is not wrong. It's like you say, if you're going to wrap it in all kinds of things, then it will it will only make it uh, muddier for the user to find out um, whatever is going on. So, you know, just doing the exception and showing uh, your end user that something is wrong, that, that they might be holding it wrong, or, you know, it could also be a bug that is something that, um, they can discover, maybe discover together with you. Um, so, but yeah, it, it, so also it, depending on the situation, you can have different kind of strategies to, to go about it then. Right. What, what's your experience with that, uh, Mark? Yeah, I think it's, I think it's quite important to have a, a good understanding in a team, how you handle exceptions or also when to throw exceptions. Um, there is uh, there are some .NET methods where you can also invoke a try method. So the method will then return you with a true or false if the operation uh, was successful. Uh, this is especially like when you're trying to parse um, values from one type to another, if that's possible. And um, yeah, that's that's a way how you can avoid uh, using exceptions in 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 cases where you expect that the values might not be uh, well-formed that you're receiving. Uh, another thing that uh, we've discussed quickly before we started recording, Gerald, was um, how to handle uh, potentially sensitive information in your exceptions. And if I recall you there correctly, you said um, it might not always be the best idea to just forward all the information that you have uh, in your library. Sometimes you might want to uh, hide some information voluntarily, like uh, if you got any user credentials and there is an error or an exception occurs while you are sending that information, uh, you might not want to wrap that stuff into the exception or you might want to uh, put some stars over those uh, pieces so that uh, if there is a very, so say if the user just locks everything into some log file, uh, that information will not be uh, made available to public, which 
usually is not what the user intended. Yeah, exactly. So, you know, the thing that I'm working on now, the code spaces bits, um, I mean, there's just, we have an attribute that we put over certain fields uh, that indicate that it's GDPR information. Um, and, you know, even when you're uh, logging things like file names and that kind of stuff, especially file names that are uh, that come from a user, so they are cloning repositories or they're doing whatever, um, that's basically, I mean, they can put anything in there. So that could be, uh, what is it, personal identifiable information, PII. Um, so you don't want to have that kind of stuff into your logging, basically, or your exceptions going out. Um, so at some point, especially if you're working on like web services or anything, then um, yeah, at, at some point, wherever it's going to cross the line from like uh, internal to your application uh, to the outside world, you might want to have some gate on it where you um, go through the object that's going out and uh, pull out all the sensitive information um, and maybe obfuscate them or not send them at all. So, you know, that's, that's also stuff that you might want to think about whenever you are uh, dealing with this stuff. Um, the other thing, I am not really that much of a performance nerd, but uh, Mark, I I think you are. Um, <laughs> whenever you wrap stuff in a try-catch, does that, I mean, I can only guess that does something extra, right? I mean, it wraps it in something that will catch the exception. So does that mean any kind of performance hit? Because else, why wouldn't you? wrap everything into a try catch and um, do all the things i must i must uh, say I, I i'm not all too familiar with the details but I'll, I'll give it my best educated guess here which will be then on a public recording might have done smarter things than this but yeah if i'm if i'm wrong just please correct me uh in a tweet um so so generally when you think about exceptions what what you're actually doing is um in, in c there is this concept of go to or actually an assembly where you can say go to line whatever in your code. And um, an exception is basically just that. So if you, whenever an exception is thrown, it will then directly go to the next um, catch block that's uh, that can be found, or it will exit your, your code. Um, and the, the problem there is usually your uh, CPUs, they try to predict uh, what instructions come next. And when you put in a go-to, it's pretty much impossible for them to calculate that. So I believe that the problem with go with with exceptions is is often that uh, the CPU uh, will always have to refresh its uh, execution pipelines, uh, which could potentially uh, slow down your app if you are in a tight knit loop that throws many many exceptions while iterating over it. Or does anyone of your view have a better idea? I, I, you told me all new things basically. Yes, me I too. did not know any but of this. Uh, so I did know, actually, this is totally unrelated, but I, I did know that GoTo is still a thing. You can still use that in C Sharp today, which you should not do. So please do not do that. Uh, but actually... Except when you use an exception. Then it's okay. Except when Apparently. you use an exception. Yeah, I mean, they do it. And people smarter than us have implemented that. So you should probably do it then. Uh, but actually, in the in some code that we got from uh, Xamarin Forms out of a PR um, into the uh, Xamarin Community Toolkit, we went over the review and uh, we noticed that there was a go-to in there as well. So, uh, you know, you can still do it. And there might be valid reasons to do it, but um, it, I can't think of any. Neither can I. Um, so I don't know if you guys typically do this, but... Um, 
out of the box in .NET, you obviously have a lot of existing exception types, like the the null reference exception that Gerald has alluded to a few times in his dad jokes, um, or maybe the argument exception, or you name it. There's there's quite a few in there already. Have you ever been in situations where those didn't cut it, and you needed to write your own little exception because you can just base class or subclass the the exception base class and then create your own, right? Yeah, yeah, you could write your own by subclassing exception and then uh, doing that. I must be honest, I'm I'm a pretty lazy person when it comes about customizing his exceptions. Uh, I usually go with what's in the box. Uh, there have been a few uh, apps that I worked within where um, some sub-modules uh, implemented their own exceptions. Um, generally, what it allows you is to, if you've got some uh, common library that you're using and there are some error states that might occur that you want to be handling later on, instead of just packing that information into a string or whatever, you can like say, um, this module had a connection issue and uh, then code higher up can then uh, react onto that specific exception. And that can be useful in those scenarios. Um, generally, I, I tend to avoid uh, passing those exceptions outside of certain boundaries. If I would ever develop a library that would be so successful as a pancake view and would have and would feel the need to implement custom exceptions when passing them to the outside, I probably would then uh, wrap them again into a more standard exception just to be more conformative with the standard of exceptions. Yeah, because I, I was just thinking because earlier you asked about whether or not I had exception handling in there. Um, I just realized that I actually do throw my own exceptions. Um, I use the base classes, obviously, that, that come with .NET. Um, but I do throw exceptions myself. Uh, so it's not necessarily unhandled ones. It's actually things that I don't expect and, and throw upwards. So like, for example, parameters and validation in there, like a uh, a negative border thickness, something like that, um, or opacity that's not between zero and one, which is the default range for that. So all those kinds of validation situations is where I do throw some exceptions. But other than that, there is no try catch to be found in there. That's always the the interesting uh, field where you have to uh, find the right status, right? I mean, do you handle that kind of gracefully? And um, what, whenever you do that, like for instance, what you say, like the negative uh, border size minus something, um, do you just reset it to the the minimum value that is supported and let the user figure out why it's not working, or are you going to throw an exception that potentially breaks their code? And um, but at least they will know what's going on. So. That are interesting decisions that you have to make whenever you um, write code like that, right? Yeah, and then in this case, my main thought behind it was to not have the user spend countless amounts of time figuring out what why something's not working because I've I've been there, <laughs> probably. Yeah, yeah it, it happens from time to time. So you could you could even easily spend hours figuring out why something isn't working, and then you spot that little mistake that you made and tear out your hair and start yeah. over again yeah did you find uh, why your um, is busy no it wasn't is busy is is hidden was uh true yes bindings okay. 
See, bindings, bindings. bindings. All right. So earlier today, Stephen asked our help for a unsolvable case of a Boolean that should have been false, but yeah, you know. Um, all right. So there is also, because there is tons of uh, exceptions and exceptions are a part of our developer life. Um, so there is also uh, libraries that do something with exceptions and um, let you handle it a little bit easier than just try catch and uh, maybe let you do a little bit uh, smarter things with it. Uh, one of them is Poly. Uh, which has a little parrot, uh, which is probably called Polly, uh, as a icon. And um, I think we've we've talked uh, uh, about it before when we talked about what was it? Uh, maybe network things making yeah network APIs things and that kind of stuff. Yeah, exactly. Okay, so uh, but but and to just recap what it does, uh, I think you can um, basically specify policies. That's where the name came from. Uh, for different types of exceptions. Uh, so whenever you get an exception where, uh, I mean, generally you as a developer know better than uh, than the end user that's actually using the app, what exceptions can be expected at a certain time and if they are recoverable or not, right? Uh, so if we stay with the mobile apps and um, um, REST APIs uh, example, then whenever you get a uh, 404, uh, HTTP 404, it might throw an exception um, and you might know that that's not recoverable because that means the endpoint is not found. Uh, but whenever you get a response of, I don't know, 500, you might try it again uh, three times because, you know, one of those calls might go through and things are fixed. Um, so that's that's things that you can very easily build in with Poly, right? Did, did, you, did any of you use that? Only minimally, to be honest. Um... No particular reason why I haven't used it more, to be honest, also. Yeah, I think um, uh, I I haven't used Poly all that much in, in my apps, uh, mainly because uh, I, I've mentioned this already in episodes before. I tend to, I like to use some Rx in my apps, some reactive extensions, and they have their own flavor of handling these retries. And that being said, um, I really like Poly for, for various reasons. I think Poly is really strong when it comes to network bounds, uh, error communication. Uh, one reason is because you can you can quite easily define how you want to do retries. You can also have a backing off strategy. So you, when you when the first attempt fails, you can say, okay, wait a couple of seconds before you retry. And uh, that can be... Uh, really helpful because uh, if all of your apps suddenly, like if you if your server is under load and it starts to spit back errors that it's too much under load, um, there's the cloud that will also solve that problem for you. But given that you don't have that or the cloud is already running at its full capacity, uh, you can then with Poly steer the clients uh, like into a backing off strategy. Uh, I think also with some randomized uh, timeouts when they should retry again in the hope from spreading the load then out over a wider time frame. And uh, those are things that you can do really easily with Poly and would otherwise take you quite a bit of code to implement it. Yeah, I think it supports a, a number of different uh, strategies to go about these exceptions. Like you say, like, hey, you want to retry X amount of times or some kind of circuit breaker that if, if it is another um, condition, then you... Um, you know, you you pull out the circuits and it just stops. Um, so and it gets a 
couple of more and uh, you can also have like act on different types of exceptions right so uh, yeah like I, like I said before if you do uh, the 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 the, the this is a stupid example, but if you have the argument exception, you can do things differently than whenever you get a, uh, a, a null pointer exception. So you know you can you can make policies on that, and it makes it real easy to do that. Um, which which all is uh, very smart to do uh, whenever you also want to think about the the server load and and not making it any harder on the server than um, it already might be whenever you find yourself in this situation. Uh, I think there's one fun story of a little um, little product that we know from Netflix, who uh, you know they have a massive infrastructure, uh, as you can imagine, and I think they use a fun strategy to test their own things. I think they test their own things like like these, um, how resilient it is, uh, even in production. Yeah, that's uh, fun, I guess. Some would be really scared about this. But um, so Netflix, uh, they wanted to have a really resilient backend. And uh, when a service breaks or goes down, um, they then try to compensate for it. So sometimes you might have been watching Netflix and suddenly one of your favorite lists was not appearing in the in the home screen. Um, this might be the reason why that is. So uh, as they set out to build a really resilient system, um, what you always have to do is then run failure scenarios. So check when the system fails, does uh, the backup kick in or does the, is the ever handled by the rest of the system? And they came up with this uh, endeavious plan of the Simeon army. Uh, they're also known as the Chaos Monkeys. So what Netflix, uh, I don't know if they still do it 24-7, but they, they used to run them uh, regularly and probably are still are. So those Chaos Monkeys, they, they got different um, tasks, what they do. So some will uh, just randomly reboot servers or uh, let a database disappear. Uh, stuff like that, and I think uh, the the most uh, excessive one actually switches off an entire cloud region, and then the rest of the backend systems have to compensate for that. And you can find those uh, actually even on uh, GitHub, I believe, those Chaos Monkeys. So if you if you are bored or you feel like uh, your production code is is really born to handle failures um yeah there is a challenge out there for you another way how you can build those resilient systems is uh i think with actors uh has any one of you heard or used the actor.net is that framework? actors that come from netflix like they play in movies and then you can build resilient networks from them oh wow i will use samuel l jackson <laughs> <laughs> well, well yes yes and no mainly oh. no <laughs> pretty much just no so, so the actor pattern what you you can use it if you've got like a multi-threaded processing systems where an actor is an object it usually comes in object oriented you got a, a queue in front of it and then it will process the queue and then you can have like five actors doing the same job and you'll just put it into the queues and stuff like that and um, some, sometimes you want to know if an actor goes bad. And I can already hear Joe giggling behind his muted mic. Um, but uh, so you want to know if your system is running. And there are uh, frameworks, and Akka.net is one of them, that will allow you to write uh, those resilient systems where you can spin up multiple actors. And they all have different jobs, what they're doing in your system. And some are just basically looking out if other actors are running and uh, will restart them or 
if a, if a job runs bad, so that you can define policies within uh, how they should handle it. And uh, it's quite an interesting approach if you really have to build systems that are just resilient or can also take a beating. Uh, I know that from my day job uh, that some systems suddenly the network goes down or power cuts and uh, when you're again back up uh, you just have to continue working as if nothing ever has happened. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So this is this is a framework that basically allows you to create like microservices uh, kind of architectures, right? Distributed things. Yeah, yeah, but you can you can also use it in a monolith application. It's more I guess around multi-threaded okay, processing right, right, right. stuff. Okay, so and whenever you you venture into that area, I think then you also go quickly into like the async exception handling, swallowing things. Um, so yeah. oh yes, Stephen had a good story. There, didn't I did. You, I did not. Um, no, I make don't, something. I don't up. have a great story for that. Make something okay, up now. I'll make something up. So there was this guy once, me, <laughs> um, who made an async method and threw exceptions in there and they vanished into thin air. That basically happens because when you're writing normal synchronous code, any exception that you get is propagated upwards as exceptions do until they hit like a, a catch block. We, we covered that earlier. But in asynchronous methods, this is not as easy, especially if you go the async void type route, um, which I think most people are already getting creeped out by me just mentioning it. So if you have an asynchronous method that has a return type void, they don't have a task object associated with it. So if, if an exception is thrown in a async void method, the exceptions are raised on the synchronization context that was active at that time. Um, but because it's returning void, it doesn't have a task associated with it. So it doesn't bubble up nicely into the, the rest of your code. And I've, I've fallen into that trap a few times. Luckily, I always figured it out, but it can get a, quite a bit messy with async and, and error handling. Yeah, so that's that's one of those things that, uh, you know, what, what we mentioned earlier, where you can spend some time looking for things. And especially if it's, if it's in some kind of third-party library that... Uh, that does this, then uh, you will have fun times. Especially if you can't source link into it. Oh yeah, good plug for source link. Very good. Do you oh. have any horror stories <laughs> like that, Mark, or is your life just exceptions and unicorns? Yeah, mainly mainly uh, unicorns, rainbows, all that. No, I mean the the async exceptions. They are out there to get you, uh, I think. Um, so whenever you write uh, some code that you cannot await for some reason. Uh, or it, yeah, or you've got a, a task that's running. Um, it's usually a, a good moment to take out the good old try catch and be sure that you uh, will get to know when the thing actually fails. I think when you use the task-based approach and you don't go down the void route, um, you the task will then capture the exception and will propagate it back to the awaiting thread. Uh, that's how that works. Uh, but yeah, uh, usually whenever you see a private async void method, just be sure to handle those exceptions or else uh, something will not work and you will have no idea what just happened. Okay, but with all this talking about exceptions and stuff, um, you know, we've talked a lot about handling them in code, but um, you can't catch them all because, you know, that would be a lot of go-tos and CPU pipelines getting reset or 
I don't know, something like that. Uh, so, you know, how can we know that something is wrong whenever we release something? Um, especially, you know, like whenever you put an app out there um, and uh, a lot of users are not going to report back to you that something is not working. Um, hopefully the, the more friendly ones uh, will do that and will not include any swear words. Um, but, you know, so how can we know what's going on and, and where we can find these things in our code? Are there solutions for that? Yes, Gerald. It's called logging. No, uh, uh, so so I think it's generally good practice that uh, whenever you write an application that you log any exception that happens. Um, there's also the way that there's also ways that you can ha register a unexpected exception handler. Uh, so that means like even if your code did not catch the exceptions, you will still be able to uh, know what went wrong and at least lock the stuff somewhere. If you're writing a mobile app, uh, I would recommend not writing it into a file or into the console. Uh, writing into the console is probably generally not a good idea for production apps unless you're writing a console application. Uh, so usually you send them off to the cloud and they are various uh, error logging frameworks that you can use there. Uh, one that we have mentioned uh, numerous times on the show, or at least during our DevOps uh, episode, is App Center, which allows you to uh, forward exceptions to or handle exceptions to App Center. And uh, I think you can even uh, configure App Center, or usually when you install App Center, any unhandled exceptions will also be automatically forwarded to the to the App Center log. And you can even, uh, I think, uh, configure it to make automatic automatic bug reports in your Azure DevOps task board. I have quite a few Azure functions running, and they all, like, pretty much by default, log into the insights or app insights on uh, on Azure. And that's pretty much all that I have experience with when it comes to logging for at least that kind of stuff, and for apps. Well, App Center, basically. And that's that's pretty much all the logging I've ever done. Yeah, so Application Insights is also very handy, um, especially for Azure Functions. You just add the instrumentation key, I think, so which is basically the API key to hook it up to your uh, Application Insights uh, instance. And then it will automatically start logging all these things uh, that, that might be interesting for you. So, you know, response times, uh, HTTP 500 errors, exceptions, blah, 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 that kind of stuff. Um, so, you know, and you can hook up uh, application insights to basically any type of app, I think, um, because it's probably at the end comes down to HTTP calls, so REST APIs that you can um, hook into, or there will be NuGets available that um, allows you to communicate with that service. Um, and yeah, for apps, I mean, there is probably some other solutions that do this as well, but um, App Center, especially when you're using the Microsoft ecosystem, that is basically the go-to solution for these types of things. Um, it's like you say, Mark, whenever you just install the library um, onto your, if we if we go about the Xamarin um, applications, if you hook it into your um, uh, your Android and your iOS application, automatically what it does, it will start sending all the unhandled exceptions. Uh, even whenever it, it starts, uh, you know, whenever your app crashes on startup, um, the next time 
someone tries to launch it, it will take that error report and send it back to you. And since a little while, they also have added the possibility to uh, send like handled exceptions. So whenever you do handle the exception in code in some kind of graceful way, but you still want to, um, you know, maybe uh, know uh, as a developer how often that exception occurs, um, which can be for any type of reason, you can still... Um, catch that exception, but also send that exception to App Center with um, the details that that uh, are associated with it. Um, again, um, please don't include any uh, details that you should not do, uh, that you don't want to share. Um, or um, if you are going to share some details, put that into your privacy notice of your app somewhere. See, this podcast is GDPR proof. Yeah, it is. Uh, another good uh, thing to mention is when when uh, talking about log files is uh, please consider not writing your own log file handler or your own logging framework. There are um, some frameworks out there. It, at the it, like when, when running that idea through your head, hey, I could write my own. It might seem quite simple, but there are some caveats, uh, as Gerald just mentioned before, with App Center. So. Your log framework uh, should also be able to report your log files, even if your phone might be offline for a while. So as soon as it gets back, it will then try to submit those errors. Uh, and also the log being framework should never hog the CPU. So even though log, log statements are really important to know what might have gone wrong, uh, it might not be as important as what the, the user is actually trying to do with your phone. So there are some considerations uh, and there are some really nice uh, logging frameworks out there which you can use uh, another thing that i've seen uh, that you can also do with log messages is you can actually um, analyze like the the log flow um, so sometimes your app might run into various errors or like handled exceptions um, but uh, you suddenly might see a spike like uh, with uh, authentication errors and stuff like that and uh, i've seen a few interesting talks around the topic uh, where you can actually use AI to detect those things. So usually when you suddenly see a spike in uh, un uh, unauthorized and stuff like that, your backend might actually be under attack uh, and other stuff like that. Uh, did you guys ever wander off into those deep uh, log field areas? I can't say I have, actually. I mean, maybe uh, like on a Microsoft level, those things are probably in place somewhere, um, I presume. Uh, but no, I've I've never did anything of the sort. I know there is a, uh, I think it's actually an Azure Cognitive Services that you might be able to leverage for this, uh, which is, oh, what is it? You can, oh, it's anomaly detection. That's what it is. So maybe you can, you know, let your um, log flow run through there and let it find any anomalies there but uh, yeah that's that's pretty cool usage of ai right i mean it can detect all these these kinds of things um or it should at least but uh, no i i don't have any experience with it no me neither i know that on uh, on app center if you also set up the analytics like you you log events such as uh, clicking a button or visiting pages and all that stuff um if you then go into the exception part of App Center, you can also drill down into the path that they took through all those events to get to that exception state. I guess it's sort of what you talk about, but it's it's very limited in its usage, I guess. Yeah, that's that's true. But I mean, you can also always forward the App Center logs into the insights from Azure, and then you can go full blown with 
custom queries and stuff like that and just yeah have nice dashboards on the walls with huge plasma tvs showing how your app is alive the request times it takes how often that button you just mentioned was clicked uh yeah you could i i would love to have something like that i would go totally bananas on it that's probably why they never give me a oh, role that, that, that that might probably be true all right. I think that wraps up this episode on exceptions. We've been your host, Gerald Schlaus. Stephen Davison. And Mark Alibone. Do you have any fun stories as well around exceptions? Or do we miss any strategy uh, that's not discussed here? You know, anything we are, we try to be the experts. We act like we are the experts, but, you know, we can't know everything. So we are we'd just love to actors. hear from you. We're just actors. Um, let us know on NullPointers.io uh, on Twitter. Thanks for listening and don't let this be an exception to listen to us. So don't forget to subscribe on your favorite podcast app. Stay safe and until next week on No Pointers. Mm-hmm.